Confessing should be easy. Hi guys and welcome back to Investing Should Be Easy. I'm your host, Alex Richwagon, the author of a few different nonfiction books. Most notably, Investing Should Be Easy. In tonight's show, we're going to go through an um, article that I picked up on that I really liked, and I'll make you know a few commentaries along that I saw in Fidelity's newsletter. But before we get started, if you have any questions or comments, please send me an email at alex.richwagon at gmail.com. That's alex.richwagon at gmail.com on a beautiful June 19, 2019 evening here in Clearwater, Florida. Before we jump into tonight's main topic on article around um, money myths, if you will, and that's myths, M-Y-T-H-S, money myths, there's something else come on is um, Facebook had its, uh, you know, one of its annual conferences, and they're talking cryptocurrency. They're talking about having their own cryptocurrency that is going to debut next year. The digital currency is called Libra, and... It'll be a consortium of 28 companies that'll govern their own digital currency that isn't exactly clear how their users are going to sign up, how they're going to be able to use it, how they're going to exchange goods. They're, they're setting the strategy right now. That's what Zuckerberg was talking about. But it is pretty interesting because it gets right into the claw of two highly uh, contestable topics that I've hit on since I want to say February or even March. Two topics around privacy and um, security. And privacy becomes even bigger issue if, let's say, Facebook becomes your all-in one platform to do everything to buy things, to get your news feeds, to um, you know, exchange information with friends, to get recommendations. It really is making a strong play for that one-stop place um, that could serve as a pretty significant platform in the future if they're able to pull this off. The, but the privacy issue is interesting because of some of the data breaches they've had over the last couple years, uh, most notably the Cambridge Analytica, where, they, where 80 million plus accounts were compromised, uh, people's information, their privacy information. How would that stand up with something like Libra? And which brings naturally the other piece around security. Um, Facebook is not in a very highly regulated area, something that a lot of politicians are starting to take notice or starting to figure out what they need to do in order to get higher security. So again, Libra, very interesting idea around a cryptocurrency and how it would work um, in the future. Oh, sorry, something for us to keep an eye on in the um, the near future. Sorry about that. But again, it'll be on blockchain. It'll be a cryptocurrency and something for us to kind of think through of is it something that could eventually really put a dent into modern day um, banks and way of exchanging money and goods and services because if that becomes a thing think about it in terms of today's youth start at social and then they go into the regular uh, media beyond that it's not the opposite way around which is um, i would say the previous generations are on 
So something we'll readdress as we learn more information. But today's topic, I picked this up on um, Fidelity. I thought this was a good learning segment to kind of clue in off last week's um, learning segment because we don't want to talk about just just stock recommendations or just um, other kind of habits. This is a good learning segment that I thought would be good for tonight, and it's called Six Money Myths, and we're going to give um, a little bit of commentary along the way. The first one is um, All Debt is Bad. I think this is a really good starting point around um, debt is bad. Let's say you've got three different options. One, you've and let's say they're all the same amount of money per month just for ease of use. You've got a credit card payment that your interest rate is 19%, which isn't too, too off what the average is. You've got a car payment. The interest rate is 3, 3.5%. And you've got an investment vehicle that could earn you, let's say on average, 10% per year. Now, just looking across the board, if you had free cash flow to spend and you had an option of where to put your money, what makes the most sense? I think it's obvious. It's the credit card debt. Now, let's let's take away the credit card debt. Let's say it's we've got a vehicle, an investment vehicle that can give you 10% return. You've got a student loan that's 7%. And you've got a car loan that's 3.5%. Now, this is where it comes in saying the debt that you're carrying on your books is actually cheaper to pay that off longer because student loan of 7% and the car loan of 3.5% is lower than what you can actually earn on the open market with some standard investments around ETFs, um, capital gains with dividends, and keep reinvesting that money over time. So if you wanted to, let's say, pay off student loan within a couple years, then use the money for that investment. It could be a really good vehicle that you want to think about. So not all debt is bad. That's myth number one. Myth number two, it's not worth uh, saving or investing if I can only contribute a small amount. Again, that's a false. If you start off with, and I, I go through this in like extensive detail in my book around, even if, let's say you can only invest $50 a month and you say, you know what, that's too expensive. I can't afford that. My bills are really cheap or bills are really tight. My, 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 um, my income's really tight right now and I need to manage it really tightly. Okay, how about $50 every other month? $50 every three months, $50 every four months. It's $12.50 a month over a four-month time period. Anybody should be able to afford that. Now, starting from that small amount, even if it's, again, three times, four times a year, it's only a couple hundred bucks. But if you compound that over a good four or five years, you're probably sitting on a couple thousand dollars along with the capital gains and dividends that you're going to get back with it. Even if, again, it's a really small amount, I can remember in my early 20s when you know my dad was very um, harping on, you got to you know, invest whatever you can, even if it's 50 bucks, 25 bucks. Well, he recommended a position that was a real estate investment trust. And the real estate investment trust is, I'll go into what that is in just a second, but the, the position was called Archstone, Archstone Smith Trust. Well, Archstone Smith Trust had a really great, um, had good fundamentals, had really good growth potential, ended up 
paying me about 120% over two years, which is it's just a phenomenal rate of return. Um, you know, over 100% return in two years is amazing. It just in itself, but I had to contribute at least $200 a month. That was tough. It was really tough, but you know what I did? I worked a little harder. I saved a little bit more. I didn't do certain things that I didn't maybe need to do, but I just went down to the wants and it ended up being really financially successful for me. So what is a real estate investment trust? It's you, I'll get me get really easy. So let's say, um, you know, a mall is a strip mall and there's a lot of companies that rent out that space. Well, let's say you're an investor in the, the ground, the ownership, the, the land itself, and all these companies constantly have to pay rent. So they're paying money, which is again, real estate. If you are the real estate investment trust, you need to pay out 90% of your profits, at least 90% of your profits as a dividend. It's a, it's, it's like a collection of companies that need to pay rent and they're the, the deed holder, the landholder. They're collecting all the money, all the rent, and they've got to pay out 90% if they set themselves up as a REIT or real estate investment trust. A really cool investment. Um, but again, Archstone Smith was a really big winner for me. $200 a month was a lot of money when I was in my early 20s and um, something that I figured out way to work. But again, it debunks that myth number two. It's not worth saving if you able to contribute a small amount. So whatever you can start with, that's what I would go with. Even if it's 50 bucks a month or every other month or something else, start small. It doesn't matter. Credit cards should be avoided. Well, depends on how... This is myth number three, credit cards should be avoided. It really does depend on how responsible you are. If you, let's say your monthly bills, your, you know, your gas, your, you know, your food, um, your electric, things like that. Let's just say it's 500 bucks a month. If you can diligently pay that off on credit card and then collect the points and just pay it off every month, you're going to get a lot of rewards points and be able to do something nice for yourself. Um, or do something even better, use the reward points for like a gas card or for your grocery bills, and then go ahead and pay yourself back that $100, $200 a month that you would have spent anyway. It's a really good way to subsidize that um, expense with a credit card. Because credit card companies have a lot of points that you can be redeemed for cash, travel, electronics, or investments. Um, I just signed up one with Fidelity. Again, they're not a sponsor of this podcast. I just like their products that uh, if I use the, use with them, it actually gives me cash back in my brokerage account. So it's going right into my investments account and I just pay it off every month. It's really not that big of a deal. So again, that's myth number three. Um, definitely think that's a good myth. Next one, myth four, stock market's too risky for my retirement money. Well, if it's sitting in your savings account and you don't do anything with it, it's earning 0.01%. It's not doing anything for you. That's a risk. If you don't ever do any money with it and it's just sitting there eating up um, that time, that time allocation of money or that um, caught that, uh, what's I'm going to call it? It's like the, um, the opportunity cost to invest in somewhere else. That's a risk. But over time, stock market's been up since like 19, 10, 11, 10%. Um, you know, if you use a very vanilla portfolio, I talked about it last time with a 401k portfolio. I gave 
three or four different um, ETFs, those are exchange traded funds, which are like basket of stocks. You can really stretch out the risk, make it really simple, and make it a like, like a Ronco says, set it, forget it, 401k portfolio. So if you've got low risk tolerance and you want to do really conservative, you could do that in a really easy way that you wouldn't and you'd wake up in five years and go, wow, really happy with that decision. So again, that's that's another debunked myth that um, I wanted to hit on. The next one is myth number five. I'm so young. Why do I need to sign up for retirement now? Well, I'm sure you lot, you really like to do a lot of fun things. But is $50 a month really going to kill you? Is it really going to kill you to kind of – like I'll give you an example. When I was going through college and I think it was like – my early 20s, it kind of hit me when my dad's advice really started to kind of penetrate was, what do I have to show for it? I mean, I had a lot of fun. I had a good times. Um, you bought a lot of crap that you probably have no idea. What does he bought? Where that went? Where the money went? Um, if you literally would have just set aside $50 a month and said, you know what? I There's, there's better ways to spend this money elsewhere besides... Um, the food, the pizza, all the the random stuff you buy when you're in college and stuff that you decorate your, your room with that I'm not saying you need to be a total minimalist, but it's really it really will help you pay off in the long run and if you can decrease your financial stress and your which does tie into overall stress, it helps so much better. And you can, if you pay off your student loans faster, if you want to save for a house and you can get it um, and pay 20% down, you save yourself so much more money. Like life is, I feel like it's just a, kind of a big game with money. If that's one thing you can solve, it's going to make you a lot happier later on. Again, money does not buy happiness, but it definitely helps. It definitely helps when you have a lot more of it to do things that you want. If you wanted to buy a boat, if you do want to buy a house and you start having a kid or two and you want to be a responsible parent and put that kid through um, you know, private school or start saving for college at a decent time, like all that stuff gets easier that you're not constantly thinking about it. That if you did start younger and you just started out, again, $50 a month is the point that I really want to hit home all the time. It really is not that hard um, once you kind of really take a step back. And you're like, what did I really buy? I bought some apps. I bought a new phone. I have you know, $700, $800, $900 iPhone that I begged my parents for. I've got some Bose Beats, um, Beats by Dre, whatever. Um, what does it really do for you besides just having a lot of stuff that you can look at and go, oh, this is great. But sometimes later on in life, you're... Your habits change, your priorities change, and if you started young, um, there's a chart that it details out that I'll include on the um, podcast this week. talks about two investors. One starts at age 35, one at 45, and the 35-year-old investor contributes $7,000 a year for 30 years. Uh, 7000 sounds like a lot, but once you get into your 30s, it's not that bad. 45-year-old contributes 15000 for a year for 20 years. Even though the 35-year-old contributes half of what the 45-year-old is, 7000 versus 15000 
they end up with more money at age 65, Boeing at the same exact pace. Um, thinking through a 7% nominal growth rate, um, you know, thinking about dividends, all the things that come up. Like, I know that sounds crazy. The 35-year-old ends up with over 700000 versus the 45-year-old ends up with 650000 That sounds crazy on paper, but I'm telling you for a reason. It's It really does pan out later on in life. So that's the starting too young, $50 a month. That's the point that I want to keep harping in over and over and over again because I don't. I think that's something that everybody can shoot for. And how? We talked about last, game, last week's podcast, the 401k investment plan. Start small, allocate it across a few funds, and just don't even worry about it anymore. The last one is there's no way of knowing how much I'll need in retirement. Well, that's true, but think about your really long-term goals. Do you eventually want to retire? Could you do, instead of $50 a month, $75 a month? What is it all going to add up to? Well, you may want to buy a house. You may want to buy a boat. You may want to go on vacation. You may want to have a new vacation home. You might have a, a place on the beach. Um, you may just want to go do stuff and go to like go see a bunch of concerts. And it all gets easier if you've got something in your corner that is working on your behalf while you go to work at the same time. You wouldn't hesitate on contributing to a 401k and using the company match. So don't hesitate on starting a portfolio as late as early as 17, 18. Um, somebody the other day asked me about the app. I'll do this live real quick. It's called um, Acorns. So I'm going to go right here. I know basically how it works, but I want to make sure I don't misquote anything. Um, so Acorns. Acorns is a guide to financial security. Um, basically, it rounds up all of your spare change. So let's say you pay for something digitally and the thing, the shirt that you buy is $33.50. Well, what Acorns will do, it rounds it up to 34, takes the 50 cents, put that into an investment account for you automatically through ETFs and other things. So it's taking the discipline out of it by taking that out of your hands and giving you an investment core that'll just constantly stack up every time you use um, your, your accounts. And it's not a lot of thinking involved and you don't really have to get as, you know, as involved as something of starting up your own brokerage account. I thought it was really cool. Um, look, I'm a fan of anybody that wants to start an investment strategy somehow. And if this gets you going in the avenue that you want to get going, then I'm a fan. I, I think it's an easy idea. There's an app again, acorns and you could literally get started really, really quickly. Um, it gives you a lot of, Financial information readily available at fingertips that I think would be helpful. So that one's kind of goes right along with the six money myths on there's no how much money I'll need to need in retirement. You can run these calculators of what do I need to retire by the time I'm 60 years old if I want to have $2 million? How much do I need to contribute? Seems like a huge number, but once you start factoring healthcare costs and a whole bunch of other factors go along with it, it really can get pretty simple on how to do it. So those are the six steps. Um, the take home thing that I really, really want to 
kind of talk about was they're establishing good habits. Um, they're taking the opportunity cost of investing in your goals now. Debt isn't bad, but the most important one that didn't come in the article that really I'm trying to harp on is the $50 a month. Just start. Just start something. $50 a month. I mean, if that's too expensive, $50 every other month. That's too expensive, $50 every three months. That's at least four installments a year that you'd be investing at least $200 a month in the, in the path of something. You're saving for your own future and your own um, kind of takeaways. And I think that's really important as far as the takeaways of when we talk about stocks and other things and establishing a brokerage account and all of the other future strategies we go through. These are the important pieces of fundamentals of starting early and having some kind of plan. If you guys have any questions or comments about today's show, any feedback, alex.richwagon at gmail.com. That's alex.richwagon at gmail.com. And hopefully you guys are doing great. My son, Jace, is doing great so far. So thanks for all the warm thoughts. I appreciate it. And you guys have a great rest of your day and night. And I'll see you in seven days. Thanks, guys. Bye. Alex Richwagon is an investment research analyst. Any of his recommendations are that of Mr. Richwagon. The information presented is the opinion of his and only his research. You should not base your investment decision based solely on his opinion. Remember, it's your money and your responsibility.